0: When I was in college, uh, I uh, do what a lot of guys do when you're that age. I I had to make a long trip, and I cut it down to the very, just as, I shaved it as close as I could. Matter of fact, I had to drive three hours across Illinois, and then I was going to meet a friend. We were going to drive another two, three hours to be in a wedding. So, I mean, I was on a really tight schedule, and I I gave myself about 10 minutes for a bathroom break. And uh, just as I was getting right head out, this guy pecked on the window. I rolled the window down, and he said, "Um, hey, I got a shortcut. That, that was a bad idea. An hour later, I'm on a gravel road. I mean, I think when I rolled the window down, I could hear a banjo playing. I mean, it was a, I was real, I mean, and you know how guys are when they're really lost? Now, I know what everybody's thinking. Why don't you stop and ask for directions? I don't even think people lived where I was at. I mean, it was just one of these situations as I'm driving. And here's what guys do when they get really lost. You just drive faster. So, I mean, I just, I am putting the hammer down. And all of a sudden, magically, I just feel my car lifting. And it's not magic. I'm hydroplaning. And then I'm in the midst of what I would call a cornfield car wash. I'm looking up, and corn is just coming at me. And I'm like, oh, my land! You know, and I whip it back on the road. And now the sweat, you know how that is, that cold sweat? And I'm like, I just lived. I just lived. I'm late. I'm late. And I kept driving. And now I've got no room for air. And I'm a few minutes later than I thought, but not quite as bad. I finally saw a a road that was familiar, but I couldn't stop. So I get to my friend's house. So as I pull up into his uh, sidewalk there, not sidewalk, when I get into his driveway, I pull up and he's running out and I'm running out of my car and our eyes meet. And you ever seen somebody laugh so hard, like, you know, maybe the milk shoots out of their nose or now he just fell down like no muscles. He just falls down and he's pounding on the ground. And I'm like, dude, what's your problem? He said, look at your car. And I look at my car, and there's these huge corn stalks bent over the top of it. And then he puts his hand up and he goes, I don't even want to know. <laughs> have you ever been there? I don't mean in a cornfield. I mean, have you ever been like this guy that just talked? That you wake up one day and you're like, you know what? I am so far from God. And honestly, how did I get here? I had an epiphany a few weeks ago as Tom was preaching, and he talked about the word prodigal, because my whole life, when I've heard the term prodigal, what do you think? I always think the pursuit of rebellion. Like, here's this kid out of control, and that's not what it means. It's the pursuit of excess. And the reason why that was an epiphany for me is all of a sudden it got personal. Because I thought of the times in my life when I pursue something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, it just means that it's taking me away from God. And you're all there. Matter of fact, did you know that in your brain there's a system, and it's called the reticular activating system? And here's how it works. You're getting bombarded with thousands of thoughts and ideas, but whatever you push the button on that you want to focus on, the reticular activating system, like a radar, is going round and round your brain, and it helps you to really focus on this. Now, let me give an example. A few weeks ago, uh, in spring break, uh, we were driving down to Georgia, 14 hours in the car. And just a day or two before, we had decided to take a, a bike rack for our bikes, and I couldn't get it to work. for 14 hours all I could think about was, boy would I love to have a bike rack. And I saw every bike rack on the highway. (laughs) That's a great bike rack. And we stopped to eat, and I'm walking through the parking lot. I'm like, good one, nice. You know, I get up the next morning, I rent a bike, and I walk up and down, and I'm looking at bike racks that are in the hotel parking lot. I go to Walmart the next time, and I'm looking at pricing out bike racks. Now, why would I do that? Because that's what happens to all of us. We don't even know why sometimes, but we get just focused on something, and then we start to pursue that. Now, I want to ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that's just kind of pulling you off of the path? I mean, you know you need to be right with God, but it's pulling you off the path. That's why it's so critical that we keep getting into the God's Word, because it's God's Word that helps us lead one step at a time one day at a time. On the front of Dwight Allen Moody's Bible is this quote This Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. In fact, I've got a scripture I'd like us to read together out of Romans 7, verses 14 and 15, and it'll come up here on the screen. Romans 7. Let's read this together. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Now I want you to think about that. Why is it that in our lives, the very thing we want to do, we don't do it? Because that's the beginning of prodigal thinking, which leads to prodigal living. We know what we should do, but we get off of the path. This morning, I simply want to do a couple of things. And the first is, I want us to identify the world of the prodigal and to make that a priority in our lives. Because we know what it's like to experience that, and there are so many right now that are searching, trying to find their way back to God. In a book a few years ago called Out of Their Faces and Into Their Shoes, the author talked about a theory, and he called it lostology. Now, here's what lostology is. Lostology is the study of being lost and what that experience can teach Christians about evangelism. In other words, he said, if you take physically what you go through when you're lost, and you take physically what you go through when you're searching for someone who's lost, it's the same thing spiritually. And so he shares some of these, what I think are incredible lostology laws. Here's one of them it's easy. To get lost. Matthew seven thirteen says, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Now this has happened to all of you, I guarantee you. Matter of fact, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have got a GPS? Raise your hand if you got a GPS. How many of you love your GPS? How many have had your GPS completely let you down? And you have talked to your GPS, okay? <laughs> okay? It's easy to get lost. Here's another one. You can get lost and not know it we just celebrated Easter last week and what I love about Easter is allows it allows me every year to just focus on what Christ has done for me and I think of the things that Jesus said as he was approaching a cross and when he was on the cross and the thing every year when I read it I'm reminded of the grace and the mercy of Christ is as they were getting ready to nail him to the cross and finish this sentence with me he said Lord forgive them For they what? Know not what they do. Here's another way to put that. Lord, forgive them. They don't even know they're lost. I think of how easy it is to get lost. And I think of those that are so far from God and they don't even realize how far they are from God. But you know something that the church needs to understand? A search reveals our values. There is such a convicting prophecy It's in Ezekiel And Ezekiel is talking to the nation of Israel, but he's really pointing the finger at the leaders of Israel. And he uses a metaphor that's used all throughout the Word of God. It's the metaphor of a shepherd. And I want you to listen to his warning in verses three and four of Ezekiel 34. It says, you eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Now listen to this. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've lost the urgency for the lost. Do you know what I mean by urgency for the lost? How many moms in here have been in a store, and for 30 seconds, your kids got away from you? What's that feeling? Thanksgiving a few years ago, I was walking my dog. Real busy section in Granite City, Illinois, and he bolts across four lanes into this muddy field. And on Thanksgiving Day, I'm plodding through a muddy field, chasing a dog. Why? Because I want him back. One of my kids got away, and I went and ate dessert. You know how that, you know, you do it. you do. <laughs> We all know what it's like to have this urgency when something is lost, but what about spiritually? I mean, are we content with where we're at because we should never get content because outside of these walls, there's a world of people, they don't know Jesus Christ in your family and you have friends and they are far from God right now. Is that still a top priority? Because we should always, always celebrate when the lost come home. A few weeks ago, we were sitting around and we were talking about what we had experienced in church. And I was down at the other end, and my kids were down here. And uh, they were talking about the baptism service. And Matt McCoy was baptized, his father baptized him. And the whole high school group is here, and they just erupted. And they talked about how great that was. And it should be an eruption. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what when there's a baptism and you give it up with a golf clap, are you serious? When I mean, somebody just surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. It is a celebration. In the trilogy of Luke 15, when you go through all of those incredible stories of things that are lost and found, right there in verse 10, right in the heart of it, he says, and the angels rejoice when one person comes home. We need to have a heart for the lost. Now, here's something that to me is disturbing. It was a survey that I read from ARDA. And ARDA is the Association of Religious Data Archives. They research counties all over the United States to find out how many people are not members of a church. They want to see what a community is like. In Monroe County, less than 10% of the people were members of a gospel-confessing church. Let's put it another way. On Sunday morning, 90% of Monroe County does not see church as a relevant place to be. Now, I've talked to a lot of church planners and I said, is that statistic bogus? And they said, not even close. It is right on the mark. It's not bogus. And you begin thinking about your family and your friends, and I guarantee you, they're not in church. Not only are they not in church, they don't see that church is relevant. So then my question is, what's the responsibility of the church? The responsibility is to have a passion to reach those far from God. In the book Radical by David Platt, he shares this example. In 1950, the United States Navy and the United States government approved the building of an amazing vessel. It was called the USS United States. It was completed in 1952. Now, listen to this this is amazing. It would carry, it was capable of carrying 15,000 troops. It could travel at a speed of 44 knots, which is 51 miles an hour, and it could travel 10,000 miles without needing to be refueled. There's only one problem. It was never used. It was on standby one time during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. So what do you do with a battleship capable of carrying 15,000 battle-ready troops? Well, you convert it into a cruise line. Now it can hold just under 2,000 people. There are 695 staterooms, four dining areas, two theaters, five acres of open decks, and a huge heated pool. They converted the USS United States from a battleship to the love boat. <laughs> and you know what's scary? That can happen to the church. Because you know the one excess the church desperately needs to fight against getting comfortable. Because when we get comfortable, we're in trouble. 35 to 4,500 churches, evangelical Christian churches, evangelical churches, close their doors every year. Why? They got comfortable. They lost passion for those that had strayed. They lost passion for those far from God. Are you comfortable? Here's a way you may know. If you're more concerned about the temperature in the room, the volume of the music, and what time you get out of here, you might be comfortable. Let's not get comfortable. Let's come in with this burning heart for those that don't know Jesus Christ. They're in your families. They're your neighbors. They're all around you. This morning, was, it was just so incredible and painful to pray with some parents who came forward and just said, John, with just tears, Man, my kid is so far from God right now. You know what that's like. So I just want to urge you, just like the prodigal, to come to a point in your life to say, this has to be a priority. See, what I love about the prodigal son is he, he gets to the end of his rope. He gets to the point he's bankrupt emotionally and spiritually, and he just cries out, I, I am so broke right now. I have no other options. And here's his aha moment. It's the moment that he realized, I cannot save myself. I can't save myself. And the most important step was the first step he took back home. It's the step that he took realizing that my father is faithful. Now, I want you to think how important that faithfulness is. Deuteronomy 7.9 puts it this way. For we know, therefore, that the Lord our God is good, and he is the faithful God. He keeps his covenant, the covenant of love, to a thousand generations of those who love him and who keep his commandments. In Hebrew, that simply means that God is faithful and he props us up with support. In the New Testament, in Greek, it simply means that God is trustworthy. That means you can lean into God, but you can lean on God because he is faithful. And he is faithful for what? A thousand generations, which is code for he's faithful forever. Because here's two absolute truths. Absolute truth number one, you will put faith, And other people and they will let you down. Do you agree with that? Absolute truth number two, people will put faith in you and you're gonna let them down. But we can put faith in God and we put faith in God because we know that it's not just being faithful to God, we know that we are in love with a faithful God who loves us and His love is beyond comprehension it's beyond explanation. And when the prodigal went home, he went home to a dad who not only was faithful, but to a God who would love him and to a father who would love him beyond comprehension. There's a book I want to recommend for all of you, and it's in our bookstore, and it's simply called Love Does by Bob Goff. And Bob Goff is a guy that lives every day full throttle, wanting to be surprised by God. Matter of fact, I love one of the things that he says about God. He says, I love it. Here's what I love about God. I love that sometimes God shows up and sometimes God shows off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those times in life, like what is going on? So he talks about a time, a season of his life when God was showing off his love. What happened was he has a beautiful home and he and his wife love to sit on their deck and they love their home because they can look down and there's a trail and behind the trail is a beautiful lake. So they love to see people walk on the trail. They're always in a good mood. And especially this time of year, who do you think's walking on the trail? Goofy couples in love. You know, they're they're strolling and there's this one couple he just notices like, oh man, they've got it bad. I mean, you can just tell. And he's watching them and one day, it's interesting because here's a guy waving at Bob up on a deck and uh, he doesn't have his girlfriend with him and Bob waves back and now the kids give him the two handed wave and Bob's thinking drugs you know, so anyway the kid's waving and so he thought I better go down and talk to him so he walks down his yard, gets his kid and his kid's almost nervous and he reaches in and he said my name is Ryan he said glad to meet you Ryan, my name's Bob Bob I gotta be honest with you my girlfriend and I, we walk down this trail all the time and we love your yard and he goes thanks Ryan he goes you know I love her so much, I'm gonna ask her to marry me. Can I ask her to marry me in your yard, Bob? And he said, go get the girl, kid. That's great, that would be great. So now Bob's getting excited. Few days go by, and he doesn't see the couple, but he sees the kid again, and now the kid's getting kind of bold. He's up on his deck watching the kid sprints up the yard, up to the deck, bends over, catches his breath, goes, Bob, I got another idea. You know we love your yard, yeah you know what's even better than your yard? Your deck. Man, you've got the greatest deck. Man, is there any way a few of my friends could come serve a dinner, and then I'll pop the question? And he said, what's a few friends? Bob, we're talking 20. And Bob said, bring them on. He said, one more thing. Hey, Bob, do you have like a stereo or some way to play a perfect song? I mean, just the perfect song. He goes, kid, we'll take care of it. So I said, they set the date, and sure enough, the... The friends show up, all 20 of them show up. They come piling in. They're all ready to serve. And he said he can actually hear the couple walking down the trail. And as they're walking down the trail, he goes, come with me. We're going to go have dinner. And they're walking in the yard. And she said, whose yard is this? Hello, it's Bob's. You know, so they're walking up, you know, and they, they go up to the deck. It's a perfect evening, and they're serving dinner, and then the 20 friends, they disappear. And all of a sudden, the song plays, and he goes out, and they slow dance, and he tells her that he loves her. And he said, I've got one more surprise. We're going to go for a ride. She goes, how are we going to go on a ride? He goes, we're going to go ride on a boat. Bob's going to take us on his boat. (laughs) Okay. So she's getting on the boat, and he whispers to Bob, here's the perfect spot. Do you know where that's at on the lake? Yes. So they're going out on the lake, and they get to the perfect spot. Now, get this. The 20 friends, went, each went and recruited other friends. Now, there's 50, 50 of their friends with candlelight holding out, will you marry me? This dude is good, okay? <laughs> this guy's good. But he didn't know Bob. You see, there's something about Bob, and that is Bob's got connections. And his connection that he had was the United States Coast Guard. <laughs> and he called him and said to his buddy, I got a kid, and he is... He's so in love, and he's going to ask this girl to marry him, and I'm going to take him out on a boat. Could you just show up and do something special? And they said, well, take care of it. And I want to read straight from the book. So there was a gasp, followed by an immediate and enthusiastic yes. And in this, the most special moment of their lives, neither Ryan nor his bride-to-be noticed that the Coast Guard had pulled in behind them with their firefighting boat. And just as the officer and I had planned, I gave him the thumbs up, the sign that said yes, and he shot off every water cannon he had on the entire rig. It was a scene that belonged in the New York Harbor on the 4th of July with the Statue of Liberty in the background, but it wasn't happening there it was happening for ryan because that's the way love rolls it multiplies ryan and his bride to be let the mist from the water cannon settle over them like a thousand small kisses ryan's love was audacious it was whimsical it was strategic but most of all it was contagious that's the kind of god i love and that's the kind of god that loves you That's the kind of God you can put your faith in. And it's the kind of God that people are desperate to find. And God needs us. He needs us as a family to have a heart for those who are far from God.